Tonight we're going to be talking about uh, the biggest problem we have in our lives, and that's our Yetzirah. Now, ironically, the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, is on one hand our biggest problem, on the other hand, it's our only hope. It's our only, it's our, you know, it's our only opportunity. In fact, the Midrash tells us that when it says, uh, after Genesis, it says that the Almighty saw everything that he did, and behold, it was exceedingly great. So it says two words, tov me'od, exceedingly great. When it says good or great, it means it's referring to the yetzer tov, the, the, the good inclination. When it says it's me'od, it's exceedingly great, that's a reference to the yetzer the evil inclination. So bizarrely, with that that we know as being evil, we're told in the Midrash is exceedingly good. So um, on one hand, it's simultaneously our biggest obstacle and biggest foe. On the other hand, it's our only opportunity. You know, it's the only um, um, element in life that gives our life meaning. If we didn't have an uphill battle, life would be meaningless. Can I ask a question? Go ahead. I'm kind of confused about why, why exceedingly good is refers to the Yetzirah. Well, that's what the, that's the, the Midrash tells us. The Midrash, the Midrash, what the Midrash does is it peels a layer uh, deeper into understanding the, the text of the Torah. So, the Almighty saw everything he did, it was, behold, it was very good. Well, what's he referring to? It was good, it was, what does it mean? It wasn't just good, it was very good. So, it, it, it kind of gives us a little bit of the deeper understanding into what the verse is telling us. So, it's saying that the Almighty saw that the qualities that he gave humans to fulfill their mission, their purpose in the world, was very good. So it was very and it was good. And the good is the good inclination. The very good, what's that? That's the evil inclination. So it's the thing that I, simultaneously, is, is, its name is evil. On the other hand, it's very good. And that's because, on one hand, it's evil because that's what it tries to compel us to do. It tries to connect us to physicality and materialism. It tries to make us kind of lose sight of the ball. On the other hand, uh, it's good because if we didn't have anything pulling us away from our true purpose and mission, then us doing what's right and fulfilling our mission wouldn't matter. It wouldn't mean anything. And therefore, uh, simultaneously, it's trying to pull us away, but that resistance is what gives life its meaning. Uh, I'll give you guys a simple example. right? Nothing in the gym is fun. Maybe running is something like running, but you like the resistance, right? These are things to make you sweat and make you have a difficulty. Why do people pay membership? Why would someone pay money to have pain? Because they expect an outcome. Because some pain is good, right? Some pain is good. Right, no pain, no gain. That's right. So it's a good thing you're willing to pay money to have pain. Who does that? Well, we do that. And in a similar way, the Yetzirah is the resistance to living life in its most fantastic way. Could you say about good and very good again? The good is very good is the bad. Yeah, very good is the bad. Doesn't don't doesn't God also during creation say and it was good? Oh yeah, it says in every uh, in every day besides from Monday it says it was good, and and Tuesday says twice it was good. But then Did after you say everything, that? I missed that. Okay. he said that yeah. in the beginning. Either, yeah, so, so that's what we were referring to in Genesis, that's right. Now, either way, I want to get into the kind of the nuts and bolts, a little bit of the nuts and bolts of how the Yetzirah works, and more specifically how it relates to our discussion of, of Torah study and how these two really are mirrors of each other. So the Talmud tells us, uh, number one, it tells us that the way the Yetzirah works is twofold. That a person's Yetzirah 
renews itself every day, makes itself renewed every day. There's an element of renewal. Every day is something new. Every day, you you know, every every calendar, every every season, your old clothing is is obsolete, right? Mm-hmm. It's obsolete. Your technology is for sure obsolete, right? Your car that you got two years ago, well, that's that's yesterday's news, right? You know, there's this element of 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 glitz, of glamour, of the world is telling you what you have is insufficient. There's something else there that is even better and even newer and even shinier. And that's what the Yetzirah does. It's always, there's always innovation in, in physicality. <coughs> uh, you know, if you look at the front cover of these magazines that you see on the checkout lines, right? Mm-hmm. That you, don't, you don't know who, you, don't, you never met anyone that actually bought one of them, but obviously they, they must sell really well. Right and someone's got someone's got to pay right. So there has to be someone that pays for it. Right? Otherwise, it wouldn't be economical. But either way, what is it always selling you? New tips on how to get your flat abs. Right, it's always new for thirty-eight ways X, Y, or Z. Right, it's always and you take this if you take the cover from two thousand seven, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, and you could just filter it in because it's all the same stuff. But it's always presented as new. Right, that's that, that, that's what the Yetzirah does. There's always something new. There's always something we haven't tried. And there's always another way to connect us to the physicality. And when we connect ourselves to the physicality, what do we disconnect ourselves from? The spiritual. The spiritual, exactly. The of us job is to try to link us as much as possible to the physical world and to our physical existence. By doing that, we lose sight of our spiritual existence and the spiritual world. And that's its goal, and that's why pursuing the spiritual world is difficult and has meaning. So that's, that, that's one of them. There's renewal. On the other hand, there is the idea of its misdabber, um, which means it just overcomes us. Sometimes when we sin, it's not because we're excited, we're entranced. You know, we, you know, we just... You know, we, we just need to sin because we're so, it's, just, it's so new, it's, it's so appealing, it's so alluring. Rather, it just overcomes what comes to us. It means we're, we're like shackled. You know, we're just doing things because that's way, the way we've been taught and programmed by the Yetzirah. It's as if the, 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 the force of the Yetzirah is that it overcomes us and we feel like we have no choice. And even though we're not excited, we're not tantalized in any way to sin, but because that's the way we behave, because we're under the thumb of the Yetzirah, you know, they're telling us, it's telling us how to behave, you know, we're submitted to it, therefore we do it even though there's no glitz uh, in it whatsoever. That's what the Talmud says, that the Yetzirah does two things. It renews itself and it overcomes us every day. And I found a document that uh, was in a book that I got from my, grandf- my grandfather's house. You look at his <coughs> really, really tiny apartment. It, so small, I can't imagine, right? You could fit three of his apartments in this room. Tiny, really tiny. But what it did have in excess were lots of books. So after my grandfather passed, uh, they said, okay, everyone take whatever books you want, right? Or some books, right? Whatever. There was a few books that were available. Uh, and most of the good books were taken before I got there. Of course, that's just my life, right? Um, but I got one book, and it was like, I was excited to get that, and I open up, and I see a little note inside of, inside of it. And my grandfather was such a prolific writer um, that he, you know, in his organized manuscripts, we're talking about, 
in enormous, enormous amount. I mean, it's the, the enough, enough to do 20 more books, you know, of just of prepared manuscripts. But then there's these little pieces of paper, little notes and thoughts that a voluminous amount, not kind of organized. And one of those was inside there. And I pull it out. What does it say? It quotes this Talmud. And it says, the Yetzirah does two things. It renews itself and it overcomes us. And then he says like this. How do we combat that? You combat that in the same manner. When you want to fight back and kind of connect yourself to the spiritual and disconnect yourself from the physical, how do you do that? You have to have renewal. Just like it comes up with something new you've never seen before, exciting, right? Grand opening, glitz, glamour, and tantalization. You're enchanted by it. You're excited. You could be like that about spirituality. If you're prayer, if you're Shabbat, or if you're Torah study, it's all bland. So, oh, yeah, I've been there before. Oh, this is boring, right? Uh, nothing exciting. Well, what does that mean? It means you're not being tantalized by the spiritual world. We have to try to find a way to combat it tit for tat. Do How mitzvahs, do you... <clears throat> mitzvahs combat it? Of course. So yeah, well, yeah, we're going to see primarily it's going to be Torah, but yes. But if we, yeah. find, if we find new meaning in mitzvahs, the same way the Yetzirah uh, engineers all this new meaning, um, fake meaning that is, but new new fantasies in the physical, right, then we fulfill our purpose. And conversely, there's the other element to it. And that is that when we're not excited about spirituality, we're not excited about necessarily about doing mitzvahs, whatever mitzvah it may be. We've worn tefillin before 100 times, 200 times, 500 times. It's not like we have a new insight, there's some renewal. But we're doing it because... We commit ourselves, you know, where, so to speak, you know, we, we, we have given us over, so to speak, to the good side. And therefore we do it, and even though we're not excited about it, even though it's, 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 there's no renewal, it's not, there's no new insight, there's no innovation, it's not a novelty, but we're committed. And we're committed, therefore we do it, even though we're not inspired at the moment. And that's how we have to fight. We have to have the same duality that we're being attacked with, we have to respond in kind. That's what he said. And I'm like, isn't, this little, isn't that awesome? Isn't that wonderful? I still have that in my house. I think if, if my father knew about it, they probably would, he would take it away from me. But. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, he no. Would. yeah, he probably would. I'm not, yeah. <laughs> well, he'll probably take it away from me now anyhow because he'll listen to the recording. So you say, Rabbi, then, that if you're doing, like, like to fill in, for example, you know, you've done it from the time you were three or something, and, you know, or, well, you know, older, but... Yeah. You've done it a long, long, long time. And the, even if you're not really inspired every time you do it, the fact that you're doing that is still or that's you a combat re- the Yetzirah. That's exactly. That's a that's reflection okay. of a good, you know, you know of, of a good battle tactic that you're employing in your life, in your in life's challenge. Okay. And that is you have a certain degree of commitment, even though it's not so exciting, you're in. Um, and to me, this is, this is very, very interesting. I've been thinking, been thinking about it a, a lot, um, I, uh, several times since I read that. Um, and I, I think it's a good kind of introduction to, to, this, to this issue, that we, if it's really a war, right, if it's really a, a battle, it's described in those kind of terms very frequently in Jewish writings, that you know, it's an actual war. Like Lutzato, for example, tells us is that you know, life is a war, and you go from one battle to the other battle to the other battle, and you win the battles, and eventually you win the war. And if you're, if you're able to kind of ward off the enemy, you start off as a, you've got a pure soul, and then 
your soul is, you're born and you're thrown into the battlefield that won't stop till you die. And your life is battle after battle constantly. Once you're done, you're done, right? You defeat all the enemies and you're the king of the mountain. You know? But we don't have that same sort of attitude necessarily towards the Yetzirah. You know, it's, it's kind of a thing. It's a, you know, it's a thing that we have and we kind of can't do anything about it. Um, it's going to be there whether we like it or not. And we feel frustrated by it, you know. But in a battle, what do you do? You fight back, right? We don't grow like sheep to the slaughter. We fight back, you know. And, and this kind of insight of, of tactics and strategies and an outlook and some art of war, Sun Tzu stuff, right? How are they attacking us? How do we respond is, I think, a very good way to talk about the subject uh, in, in general. Now, Specifically, I want to talk about what the Talmud says about this as well. So the Talmud said, number one, that that's how, how, it's, how it works. It says like this. It says, the Almighty says, first it gives us an example. It says, imagine you have a father, and the father obviously loves his child, but instead decides to give him a huge wallop on his face and causes him to have a huge wound, which, for the record, just it's not, not advised, right? Don't try this at home. But theoretically, that's what the Talmud says. So the dad takes the child, gives him a huge wallop, a huge wound, and he tells him, okay, I'm going to give you a bandage. He put the bandage on, and when you have the bandage, then you don't have to worry about anything. There's not going to be any infection, there's not going to be diseases, no problem. You could eat whatever you want, nothing's going to harm it. He could take whatever baths you want in the hot, in the cold, whatever, you're good to go. But you pull off the bandage, and then there'll be boils everywhere and infections will be a disaster. That's the analogy the Talmud gives. And so too, the Almighty, our Father, walloped us. He gave us a huge wound. And that wound could fester. And it could get worse. And it could get infected. And it could just totally destroy us, right? What happens if you have an infection that's, un- that's, you know, that's untreated? You know, you could die, right? Yeah. And the, but the Almighty says, you know what? I have an antidote. I have a bandage. And if you were the bandage... You don't have to worry about anything. You can eat what you want, drink what you want. You don't have to worry about it. You take off the bandage, you're in trouble. What's this bandage? I created the Yetzirah. I created the Torah as an antidote. This wound, this proverbial wound, is the Yetzirah. It's the force that makes us lose sight of what our responsibilities are. It makes us connected to this world and neglecting next world. But the one says, ah, I have an answer. There's an antidote. What's that? That's Torah study. Now I want to try to, let's break this down a little bit. Very interesting thought here. So we have the Yetzirah, and the Yetzirah's job is to connect us to this world. How does he do it? What what are the... Well, physicality, okay, but more specifically, in what areas of life are we going to be so committed to this world so enthralled and enchanted by this world, huh? Okay, materialism. So this is so really this, this, this three areas, right? There is there is uh, money and materialism. Right? We want to have the biggest house and the fanciest stuff, and and no matter how much money you have, you want more. And you, you know, huh? The neighbor always has more. Someone always has more. Constantly competing. That's right. And. And even though it doesn't mean some, listen, I'm not, you know, we're, not, we're not trying to say we should be a set of, that's not the point. The point is, is that there is this idea, and the Talmud says, you have 100, you want 200. You have 200, you want 400. Right? There's never enough. Uh, and, of course, 
people, we need to feed our families. That's not the discussion here. The discussion is that there is this uh, drive that we feel, this motivation towards amassing the, you know, more and more and more and more of, of, of materials. That's one area where the Yetzirah tries to connect us to this world. Another is food. You know, how do we look at food from the Torah's perspective? Food's fuel. Right? You have an engine, and the engine is for a purpose, which is you know, so grand. It's fixing the world. It's fulfilling the purpose. It's bringing the idea of God to the world. That's the engine. But the engine needs fuel. And what do you got? You got to feed the fuel. You got to feed the furnace. If you don't feed the fuel, the fuel machine doesn't, machine doesn't work. But what if the guy says, ah, oh, the fuel, that's what it's all about. This is, this is what life's about. It's about assembling as much fuel as you can and just having the best kind of fuel and the, the, the uh, uh, Tecron, Chevron with Tecron, and I only get the uh, 93% or 87%, right? That's what it's all about. It's all you talk about in your car, right? You have the car, and like all you think about is fuel. You don't think about anything else. Like the driving doesn't matter. It's fuel. Right? You're not driving the car. You're just all about the fuel, you know? You turn your car on, it burns out the fuel, and you're like, ah, oh, you have to fill up more fuel. You go, to the, you, go to the, you go to the gas station, you put in more fuel, and you're so excited, ah, oh, filling the fuel. You go back to your driveway, just keep it on. Like, just, you, know. you, don't have, you don't ever drive it. You never go where you need to go. That's what we do. That's what the Yates recommends us. So we have the money, and then we have food. And lastly, of course, we have, we have sexuality. You know, we are you know, driven to, uh, you know, to do things uh, that are uh, that you promise duty, and that is a major area where we get connected to this world, you know, to the physicality, and the fleeting pleasures that are provided in you know with such activities. Now, well, what's that about? You know, where do we go wrong there? The answer is is that we didn't go wrong; it's just misdirected, right? When someone someone's drive to procreate, that indeed has a flip side to it. To bring life and vitality and energy into the world is a wonderful thing. But when it's misdirected, that's what the Yetzirah wants us to do. And what, what about food? When we, when we, when we want food, right? When, when some, some guy's really into food, right? You know, I had a story here. My brother's bar mitzvah a couple of, couple of months ago. So we, um, we, my brother and I said we're going to have a contest. We each going to make like a massive eight-gallon chalent pot. We'll take the same ingredients. He made his, I made mine. Let's see who wins. Made the best chalant, of the chalant, chalant maker what win. Huh? Chalant is the <coughs> stew, the Saturday, Saturday morning, morning stew. Saturday so fine, we spent hours and I'm, I'm there and I'm putting in spices, and, and he's putting in his spices, and, and it's, it's, you know, we put it on at the right time, and Thursday, I mean, it's a, it's a Thursday night, kind of seasoning it all perfectly, I come back and I'm tampering with the heat and everything, fine. Finally, the big day comes, it's Saturday morning, there's two pots, one at one end, and one at the other end, and I'm seeing, I'm like hoping people are going to mine, right? <laughs> 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 Just for bragging rights, you know. You know how brothers are, right? This is a young Israel, right? Okay. Fine. I go over to one guy in the community. He's a chef. I say, listen. Which is better? Listen. He's a chef, right? This guy knows what he's talking about. Um, and I said, don't tell me which one is which. Which one's which. I want you to taste them both. 
Let me know what you think. So he would taste them both, and then this is what he told me. Okay. He said, I like this one. He pointed to mine. Fantastic. He says, if I can have this every week for shul, for, your, for the kiddush, I'm a happy guy. But the other one was more balanced. Was more balanced. That's what he said. Now in my life, I have never heard the word balanced for food. It's a good, it's a not good. What does that mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? food to be balanced? What does that mean? The food's balanced? You never heard of having a balanced meal? Well, that's, that's not what he meant. He, mean, he, meant, he meant like that's it's... That's not what he meant. I know what he meant. Right, like the tastes are more balanced, that he wasn't, said. It wasn't quite as spicy. It was more smooth. Yeah, it, wasn't, it for sure wasn't as spicy. Mine was spicy, but like, you know, his was balanced. So to me, I was thinking about this. Like, what does it mean when people are obsessed with food? It means that they get so subtle. There's such yeah. nuances. Yeah. They go deeper and deeper. And I have a hint of this and a hint of that, right? You know, it's kind of like this vertical exercise. It's not like, you know, the people that are food connoisseurs, they don't just eat lots of food. And they don't just, like, eat, like, you know, the food that tastes very good. Right? right? McDonald's French fries, from what I've heard, are fantastic, right? From what I've heard. I don't know. I'm sure no one's here ever tasted them, right? But um, they're fantastic. But no, no, you know, no food guru is going to have them because it's not, you know, it's not subtle, right? It's not like hints of stuff. It's it's sophistication, exactly. So food is about sophistication. And then... Food's an addiction. Well, I understand. But obsession with food is about making it sophisticated. And then lastly, we have money, right? Money's about increasing more and more and more and more and more. Now like this. Torah is the antidote. Torah also comes in lots of different flavors. When we study Torah, right, we could say, you know what? I have a Talmud here. I got 2,711 pages. Right? An enormous amount of Talmud. And I want to start stockpiling books. I want to start stockpiling page after page after page after page, chapter after chapter, book after book. I want to finish Talmud again and again. And again. I want more and more and more. No matter how much Torah I have, I don't stop. I want more. I have 10 pages, I want 20 pages. I have 100 pages, I want 200 pages. I have 200 pages, I want more. That is the exact opposite of saying, I have $200, I want $200 million, I want $400 million. Right? I have $400 million, I want it. It's the exact opposite. It's the same quality directed differently. The Torah is telling us, oh, the Yetzirah is coming with a nuanced approach, we, this antidote, this bandage that the Almighty gives us, that is also nuanced. And you want us to, you want, if he wants, tells you to have lots of money, stockpile money, stockpile Torah. Then he tells you, in food, it's subtle. Right? It's not about having a lot, a lot of the food. People, are, they don't like eat a lot of food. They're like, like small, small plates, but they're very deep. You know, I want to have a hint you know, of this and a hint of that. people than I know. <laughs> right? And I, I, I want it to be sophisticated. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's another element of Torah study. Whereas, <laughs> you know, it's not just trying to stockpile as much as you can, but it's getting deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. If y'all remember, we spoke about this previously. The definition of a Torah scholar is someone who studies Torah in the form of 40 pages in a single day and 40 days for a single page. Remember we mentioned that? Yeah. Yeah. That's, the, that's Chazanish's definition of a Torah scholar. <laughs> So the first, you know, the, you know, the first area where you have to combat your Yetzirah with Torah study, with money, lots and lots and lots and lots, 40 pages in a single day. Don't stop. And the other element, 
where the Yetzirah tells you, let's get, let's get obsessed with food. Let's not have the most delectable, fancy, sophisticated, hatsi-tatsi stuff, right? Where you kind of have to, like, think about it. And, you know, you have to wash your mouth out, right? You got to yeah, shake your glass. Exactly, your cleanse your palate, yeah. right? And you don't even swallow food. You just spit it out because you want to just get the taste, right? Super sophisticated. Let's go like that with Torah. Let's study one page of, of Talmud over 40 days. And lastly, the Yetzirah tells us, Let's get involved in promiscuity, you know? Let's, and let's try to find this, you know, take this energy that we have naturally to try to proliferate and come up with new stuff, right? That's what, you know, the sexuality at its core is. It's about creating something that wasn't there before, right? That, that's what happens, right? And that's what essentially is driving us in the negative form. And what happens when we come to Torah? And when a Jew sits by a Torah... And studies on their own, they're able to discover elements of Torah that were never said before. It's possible. And you know what? Every single day, there are Torah scholars and Torah students that have their Torah insights. And they create something new that was never there before. And you know what? Something that was never there before, maybe it wasn't, I mean, it's still part of the corpus of Torah that Moshe got at Mount Sinai, but it's something brand new that's only yours. It's just like you have a child, you know? What's the responsibility of a parent to a child? Well, you have to be a good parent, right? Because no one else is this child's parent. Well, conversely, you have Torah. You create something new. You have a Torah insight, Torah novel idea. No one else, that's yours. That's your baby, so to speak. You, without you, this would not be exposed to the world. To and your, the, to your world. No, to the world at large. Well, yeah. I don't know, but I agree with that. I mean, you read Torah, he reads Torah, she reads Torah, they read it differently. That's true. And each one of them has just like, someone has a child, they have a child, they have a child, those, child, those children are different. That's right. We each can create something new. We have a prayer, by the way. What does that mean? If you actually read it, it's oxymoronic. Vitain chalkenu betoratecha. And give us our portion in your Torah. Does that make any sense? I'll, re- I'll repeat it again. Give us our portion in your Torah. We're praying. We're asking for our portion in your Torah. Wait a minute. If it's our portion, why do we need to pray to have it? Mm-hmm. Right? And if it's not ours, why do we call it our portion? Maybe we're looking to see what it is. Huh? Maybe we're trying to learn what our portion is. Okay, so it's ours, but we don't have it. So there's Torah that's ours, but hasn't been exposed. You exposed Torah, you brought something new to the world that's yours, your contribution, something that, that, that just like when you bring a child to the world, you forever alter the trajectory of the world. The world will never be the same. Same thing with Torah. Mm-hmm. Who says that? What is I don't understand? What you just said? Chidu, chidush is an insight, a new insight in Torah. Okay. If, if, if you can't have it, if you're barren, you can't have a child? Yes. If a couple find cannot a have, they find a new insight. And then they have the child? And then they can have a child. So in other words, you have to keep studying exactly. so that you can find that. Because you brought keep them to aspect yeah. of the Torah. Yeah, okay. Which is a new story. Yeah. I think I think it's in the Sefer Segulot. I'm not sure. Very interesting. Very, it, it's yeah, it made, it made sense. I agree. Yeah. I, I like it. Yeah. I never, I never knew. I'm not wasn't familiar with this gula, <laughs> uh, but it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, there is a, yeah. 
Wonderful. I love it. Now, let's talk a little bit about how this actually works. Okay, so we know what Torah is. Torah is kind of our manual, our, uh, you know, our um, war m- approach, war methodology that we use in our life uh, to combat the Yetzirah on these multiple fronts, right? It's like you have the land war, you have the sea war, right? You have the air attack, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's a coordinated effort when you have war, so too. In our, in our, in our, in our Torah, uh, Torah's uh, assault on the Yetzirah, it's going to be a coordinated effort. Now, how do we do that? So, so, so we, we create alternatives, um, and we also neutralize. It means when you, when you fight your enemy, right, there's a few ways to do it. You could neutralize the enemy. You could take the enemy hostage. You take away the enemy's, you take away the, you, you shoot and kill the enemy, right? That's one way to do it. Uh, or you made you made capture the enemy as a POW and you have more for you. Isn't that the best? Mm-hmm. Where the enemy is now digging your trenches. Mm-hmm. Or you take away their guns and suddenly they're you know they're defanged. A lot of ways to do it. So the Torah enables us in different ways to you know to, to do things differently. I'll give you guys an example. Talmud says that it says a, a line, very bizarre line. It tells us along the same line that the Torah is our antidote to Yitzhak. It says if this loathsome one attacks you, grab him, schlep him with you to the house of study. Right? If the Yetzirah comes and attacks you, take him with you. Let me ask you a question. Someone pulls you, someone, God forbid, God forbid, right? Someone says, I'm going to mug you. Pulls out a gun on you in the alley. Just wait, let's read Torah together. No, do you say, <laughs> drag him to the street, drag him with you. No, but what do you say? So you, so you punch him in the nose, and you run away. They say, not, they say no. You don't drag him with you. You don't take him with you, right? Yeah. Well, that's what the... that's not the Yetzirah. Huh? That's out of... This is Well, I know, but, the, the, but I'm, I'm, we're within the analogy of the Talmud, right? Yeah, the Talmud's yeah. saying, this is what Talmud's saying, if this guy attacks you, grab him and slap him to the house of study. Yeah, sure. right? So what does that mean? What, what you should do is you should abandon him. Leave him outside of the house. Don't bring him into the house of study. Leave him out there and live in the doorsteps in the house of study. Don't bring him with. And the answer, I think, is, is that the Yetzirah in itself, what, right, the motivation, the... Um, the energy that uh, that the Yetzirah is employing, that in itself is not evil. The question is, where are you putting the target, right? What are you utilizing this energy for? If, uh, if, if you use this energy, this passion, to stockpile, instead mm-hmm. of stockpiling money, you use that for Torah, right? You're essentially using the Yetzirah to do your bidding. It's not you're abandoning it. Well, what happens if you abandon it? Well, then, you know, then, then, then you yourself have no energy, right? You have no power. You need the power for Torah. So we need the Yetzirah for Torah. We have to drag it with us because it has to be there. We have to have it in the house of study because if we don't have it, well, then what do we have? We, you know, we, we, have, we don't have the same energy, the same power uh, that it was bringing us. So, so it's not about punching him in the nose, right? Getting rid of it. Rather, what it's about is channeling it. Is taking its energy and redirecting it towards something that's that's holy, and I'll tell you what my grandfather said about this. There's a Zohar. My grandfather was 
very infrequently quoted Zohar's. Zohar's Kabbalah. Zohar's Kabbalah. Um, he didn't quote it so much. He, you know, he he was uh, under the impression um, that that the that the the revealed Torah was enough. Right? We don't need to go to the concealed Torah for us. Some people, you know, if if we once we master all of the Talmud, we move on to Kabbalah. Simple. Right? All you gotta do is master it all. No problem. Finish with the revealed Torah, and then move on. Right? You don't. <laughs> so some people they get there, the most people don't. But there was one Zohar that he used to quote, and he said like this, and it said, "If not for the desire for illicit promiscuity, there would be no delight in Torah study. There'd be no zest, no excitement, no chedvasavadishmaitza, no delight in Torah study." Now, if if you're amassing Go wealth, ahead. okay. Go ahead. And you're, but you're, you're of a love of money. You're amassing all your wealth, but you turn around and give it to charity. Then you're turning a yitzhahara in, in, into a mitzvah. Isn't that what you're doing? There? Exactly. That's another example, right? It's another. It's a, either that's a, that, that'll be a, the flip side, right? right. That, you know, where you don't you don't get rid of, uh, you know, of your energy, right. rather you redirect it. So if some guy says, "Hey, I like building." Things and I like having these monuments to my greatness, right? Okay, do that for Torah. Build massive monuments for Torah. It means you're taking the same power and just using it for you know for good. It doesn't um, mean giving away your money. It just means not directing yourself towards the accumulation. Well, of people do direct themselves to, to no, accumulation but of the money. Accumulation and they turn around and use that money for to benefit other people. So they're turning um, a, a into a mitzvah. There's a Gemara, a very famous Gemara, I thought about this right now, um, where Reish Lakish and Rabbi Yochanan, so there's a fellow by the name of Reish Lakish. Funny name, right? You know. But that's not, we don't judge today, right? right. Um, so there's this great, there's this great rabbi whose name is Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan is the leader of the Jewish people in Israel. And there's this bandit. Rabbi Yochanan's really beautiful, so beautiful. Talmud has a few stories about how beautiful he was. And there's this bandit, whose name is Reish Lakish, who was a mighty warrior. And he used to be able to jump. He used to do like the high jump. He would jump like over the whole river. There was this river, I don't know how big the river was. Either way, he used to jump over the river. He was such a mighty, mighty guy. So Rabbi Yochanan saw him, and he said to him, your might should be used for Torah. So what did he respond? He said, your beauty should be used for women. So he responded to him. Like, well, why are you so beautiful? What's the, you know, you're a man. It's useless, right? That's, that, that's, how, that, that, that's how the conversation went. And Ariochman said to him, I see that you could be a great Torah scholar. And I'm willing to tell you, I have a sister who's even more beautiful than me. And I'll, I'll arrange you to marry her if you agree to dedicate yourself, you dedicate yourself to Torah study. He said that about his sister. What? Didn't give her enough. He's saying that's that's. Yeah, yeah. Say, yeah. that's what the Gemara says, and <laughs> event, and he agrees. <laughs> He'll arrange it. <laughs> I know a guy who knows a guy, right? It's better, right? <laughs> um, so uh, he agrees, and of course, uh, from then on, uh, he dedicated his life to Torah study, and he married Rabbi Yochanan's sister, and he became one of the great rabbis of the Talmud. If lots of Rish Lakish is, you know, he's he's became like a, a colleague of Rabbi Yochanan, and you know when Rabbi Yochanan would give a lecture, Rish Lakish was like his right hand man. 
and he's quoted in the Talmud all, all, you know, all over the place, one of the great heroes of the Talmud. Mm-hmm. My question I just thought of right now is like, okay, you see a guy who's able to do a long jump, right? Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Why would you say, oh, this guy could be, you know, this guy could, you know, do, you know, use his power for Torah study. You know, what's, what's the connection? Like, you see a guy, he's athletic, right? You see a guy done, oh, I'll give you my sister if you, what, what's going on? I think the answer is along these lines that he saw that he had a drive that was very powerful. And the powerful drive, people have this willpower capability that are able to just, once they put their mind to something, nothing stops them. Those people have a tremendous power and if they just give a little redirect, they can change the world. Well, not everyone has it. Not everyone in Rabbi Yochanan say, oh, your power should be for Torah. Listen, we have to write our power for Torah. But what's the ceiling, right? What's our ceiling? Rabbi Yochanan noticed that Rishlach has a very, very high ceiling. And he said to him, if this guy uses it for Torah, he'll change the world. And indeed he did. But, but, the, the, but how did he know it? He saw the energy that just needed to be redirected. Torah is a way that we redirect our energy. We have to grab the Yetzirah, Pull it to the house of study. Because you know what? If we leave it outside, can't do anything in Torah study. Can't do it. If we abandon the energy that it's trying to provide us, okay, then what do you have? You, you can't have great, Torah greatness without that. If not, for our desire for promise, we wouldn't have the zest in Torah study. Thus, Torah study is essentially a way to defeat our Yetzirah by making it work for us. You know, it's like the double agent, right? Not the double agent, uh, right? You get the guy who's the agent to be the double agent. Suddenly, he's on your team, and now you win everything. That's one idea. Another idea of how Torah helps us fulfill our life's mission of keeping on the eye of the ball and battling the Eitzurah is what the Talmud uh, is. The Mishnah tells us in. Uh, in the chapters of the fathers. And it says, it's very good to study Torah and to have to make a nice, honest living. Mm-hmm. Why? Because toiling in both of them will make you forget sin. Make you forget what? Forget sin. Mm-hmm. When someone's super duper busy, mm-hmm. they don't think about sinning. It's, it's not, not because when there is a gap in time, you know, when you have nothing to do, you have a half hour to kill, so to speak, that's when the Yetzirah comes and they become the king of your domain. And they, you know, they command you, commandeer your life. But if you're always working from dusk to dawn, right, or dawn to dusk, right, you have your Torah that you got to fill, and you have your, you know, and your your day is so replete. You're the one of those guys that say, "I need four more hours of the day." You ever knows those kind of people? Yeah. Some people are like, "Oh, I just need four more hours to sleep." There's, there are those kinds of people, but there are those people that are just so busy, and no matter what you do, you always able to find something else to stick in their schedule. You know, it's, ironically, the people that are the busiest are the ones that, if you want to get something done, you go to right, because there's a reason why they're busy because they do stuff. It's not like, uh, you, know, it's, you know, it's not a zero-sum game, right? The people that are busy are the ones that do stuff. So you want to get something done, you go someone's busy. 
Mm-hmm. And the guy who has all the time in the world, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And six months later, it's not done, right? Because when, when you're busy, you're more efficient. You're Just doing things. And, and, things and, and when you're doing things, mm-hmm. your Yetzirah is not, not involved. Mm-hmm. So we'd study Torah. If that's part of our daily schedule, we have time blocked out that the Yetzirah is not involved. You know, it's as if, you know, think of back to the imagery of warfare, right? It's as if we find a, uh, you know, a point in the day where there's, you know, there's, there's uh, no activity. You know, imagine you could kind of freeze the enemy, right? The enemy, you're able to have this invisible shield, like, you know, they only attack you when you're sleeping, but you never sleep, you know? They only attack you when there's no guard at the door. They put the guard on the door and they never attack you. Uh, and and lastly, Rabbi, question. Go ahead. Can you, if you're in yeshiva studying, and you're studying there six seven hours a day, hypothetically, mm-hmm. is your um, it's a hard turned off for those six seven hours? Or yeah. Well, that... it, it, that's the idea. Well, it's not it's not turned off. It's. it's what did you say? It, that's a good question. It's 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 not necessarily directed. turned. It's redirected. It's that's redirected. What about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But also when you're when you're really busy and you're really involved, you know. Remember, what does the mission say? It says you have to. You, you know, you're 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 toiled. Mm-hmm. If you're toiling, is it different between working and toiling? Mm-hmm. I, you know, there's 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 kind there's certain types of work that you kind of need headphones to get through. You know, when you see a guy painting, right? Yeah, you have to. Yeah. You have to have headphones. You know, uh, but if you're assembling a computer, you can't have headphones, you can't have headphones right? Yeah. What's the, why? Well, you're, you're just working with your hands in both instances, right? What's the difference? Level of concentration, yeah. right? So, painting. Painting artwork? No, no. We had we had a painters in our house at, um, last week. <laughs> we haven't houses of painting since 1984. Haven't painted in our house. Um, so the guy's painting, right? And he spent seven hours just going <laughs> up and down and up and down, right? Yeah. You know, so that's really mindless. That's not the toil that's being referred to here. Mm-hmm. Toiling means when you're so committed, you're so dedicated, you can't have anything disturbing what you're thinking, right? You know, if can I put on headphones right now and still give my class? No. no. I might be able to pull it off, but... Uh, probably not. <laughs> Can you deliver children if you have headphones? Yeah. No. No, you can't do it without headphones. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, but we see that there's, there's different kinds of activities, right? The guy who's delivering mail. He can have headphones. He better have headphones, right? Or he's going to you know, he's gonna hit a pole, right? But, you know, but you delivered the baby, example you gave, or, or something that is really demands your concentration. That makes you forget the Yetzirah. Otherwise, it's just, it's open season. Well, there you go. There you go. So when you're totally there, you're not elsewhere. And when you're not elsewhere, then you're, you're you know, you're, you're safe from the answer. And lastly, there's a very interesting Rambam. And this kind of gets back to our point that we were saying earlier. The Rambam tells us in the end of a section called Isure Bia. Um, there's a section, the Rambam organizes it by conceptual ideas. It means the Rambam creates for himself his own method of breaking down Torah into, into sections. He doesn't break it down into the books, into the Talmud, or he has his own way. And one of the sections is called the Forbidden Relations. 21 chapters, wherein he includes all the forbidden, for, forbidden Relations. 
And at the end, very, very last section, very last piece <coughs> of it, he tells us like this. He says, a person does not have an illicit thought only if his heart is devoid of wisdom. Mm. And, you know, you know what, what does that mean? It's kind of like similar to what we were saying, uh, I think, earlier. And that is that if your heart is engaged, not just you're doing something, not like your hands are engaged, your heart's engaged. You know, you're committed to something. You're involved in something. Right? You know, you, you, you're, you're busy with something. And there's no thought of, of, of illicit, right? That you, you know, doesn't, you forget about it. You know, it's not there. It, you're impervious to it. You know, like we said, you know, if you have this, you know, if you have this, uh, um, uh, this, this, this bandage on you, uh, then you are, you don't have to worry about it. Right? If if you're having this this proverbial bandage in the form of your heart being committed towards Torah or even something else, even work, right? If you're deeply involved in your work, Yisrael is not coming to attack you. He's t- picking you up uh, in, you know, when you're boredom. Boredom is the, uh, the, the, the segue to sin. I want to add a few more points here and then we'll wrap up here. Uh, we know that there's three cardinal sins um, and uh, to, that someone has to give up their lives and not transgress. Right? Murder, idolatry, and adultery, all, all the, which is a, a, a title that we get for all the sexual sins. On the other hand, we know there's a famous mission that tells us that there's three themes on which the world is upheld. Three things uphold the world. Torah, avoda, worship of God, and chesed, and kindness. And the Maral points out, my grandfather used to brought this down, that these three things are opposites of each other. Mm-hmm. Obviously, idolatry is the opposite of worship of God. If you worship God, it worships something else, in lieu of God, of course. Um, and kindness Right? Kindness means to give. What's the most you could possibly take from someone else? Murder. It's murder, their life. And then Torah is the opposite of a <laughs> of related things. You know why? Because of the reasons that we said. Yeah. Right? When you have Torah, when you're in delving in Torah, those things are either they're eliminated or they're being channeled towards good. Mm-hmm. Either way, we see how Torah is indeed the antidote. And by the way, I'll tell you guys something really cool. There's the antidote, but the word tavlin, we have some Hebrew speaker here. The word tavlin, a little bit. No, tavlin. So the word tavlin, the, 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 the word that the Torah employs, that the Talmud employs when it says, I created a Torah, I created Yetzirah, I created the Torah, the, the Torah as an antidote. The word tavlin can mean either an antidote or a spice. What's the difference between an antidote and a spice? An, an antidote just stops it. A spice makes it good. Makes it good. So the way that we use the Torah to battle the Yetzirah is either we stop it, we eliminate it, we forget it, it's not in our heart, our heart's full of wisdom and we we ignore it, or we spice it up. We take something that was impure and we direct it and and re-channel it uh, uh, towards towards you. And by the way, just a point here to kind of wrap it up. Um, Adam. Adam didn't have Torah. Was Adam doomed to fail because he didn't have Torah? We know. The Almighty says, listen, I gave you a punch, I gave you a wound, and I gave you a bandage. I gave you a firewall. And you know what that firewall is? The Torah. You have the answer. The only way to succeed is with Torah. Adam didn't have Torah. 
How how was it even possible for him to succeed? How was he going to overcome his Yetzirah? Well, I thought that he had the wisdom of Torah within him, he, even did, though he didn't, didn't he have, have you Torah. Know. No, he, that's not true. Maybe I don't know. Uh, that's a nice idea. I don't know. I've heard that somewhere. I heard the same. Okay, so someplace. <laughs> My question is like this: How or or how could have Adam been expected to overcome? Booyah! Exactly. Adam didn't have Torah, but Adam also didn't have Yetzirah. That's the answer. And by the way, that sheds light into Adam's decision. When Adam, wait, wait a minute. When Adam did, when the serpent, he got his Yetzirah. I understand, but where was the Yetzirah? It was it outside of him. It wasn't it was, within. Yeah. Oh, the oh, problem, it was external, external, not it was external. external. And the, problem, the difference between external and internal is that when it's external, it's an influence. When it's right. internal, it's what I feel That's that right. I feel. But when he so, ate the tree of knowledge... It, so when, it what Adam so decided to do, listen to this, guys. What Adam decided to do... This, we think of Adam as, as, as being the silly dude which made mm-hmm. a silly mistake. You know, We don't think like that. Adam made a very calculated decision to opt in. He opted in to have a Yetzirah and to have Torah. (laughs) He essentially wanted to raise the stakes. Instead of having a lower level free will balance in which the world's fate is going to be judged, he wanted to have a much deeper. He wanted to have Torah on one hand, this incredible godly force. On the other hand, the Yetzirah, this incredibly powerful force from within that is going to do us. Well, he did have the tremendous intellect. And if he didn't sin, there wouldn't and, be a world. Yeah, well, there would be a world. The world would be very different. Yeah, the world would be over. Go, yeah, exactly. Go. Now, and I think that this kind of does create um, in our line of discussion of what Torah does. I think this opens up a whole other chapter of how we really see how Torah is directed at helping us achieve our purpose in life. In combating the Yetzirah, like the Talmud says. And that in two ways. We could either combat it with the firewall, stop it, the bandage, oh. or with the spice. Right? We either eliminate it, we make it forget it, we, you know, we, or we take it and say, oh, you're on, you're, you're on our team now, right? You're working for us now. We spiced you up and now you're kosher. That's that, guys. I look forward to seeing y'all next oh, week. Interesting. Well, that's right. You're not going to be here next week?